Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV. Taking a bite out of technology. And welcome to episode 491 of the G-Tackies for Saturday, December 21st, 2019. This is, of course, the week's most notable tech stories in around an hour or less in podcast form. With myself, Jimmy Bunting, and him, Aaron Fisher. For the last just under 10 years, we've come together once a week to talk about the most interesting, fascinating up-to-date technology news on this week's episode Flickr faces financial issues Apple open sources parts of HomeKit to speed up the whole smart home thing and IBM may have made a breakthrough with battery technology you're very welcome to episode 491 of the show as always thank you so much for taking the time to join us whether it's the first episode you've listened to and joined us on, or the 491st, or anywhere in between. This is the penultimate show of 2019, the last show before the big day, which we call Christmas, at least in certain parts of the world, uh, given it's now the 21st, and tomorrow is the first day of winter, isn't that right? Correct, yeah. Today is the yeah, shortest, 20, year, shortest day of the year. Almost get my words out. So really, by tomorrow, we should notice like, a significant difference in the days. Basically Stretch summer. daylight. It'll basically <laughs> be summer, yep. yeah. Sunset at 10pm, yeah. Re- <laughs> yeah. Ready for it tomorrow. Genuinely think I prefer the longer evening. I also genuinely believe that I am the only person on the planet. Not true, but an exaggeration. Uh, but at least you're the, the only person on the planet. To, I, I am I, the only I don't person on that, this Aaron. planet. You are right. currently not on this planet. Right. Um, no, but I am the only person I know that loves winter, loves everything about darker evenings and the shortest day. And summer can just if we just didn't have summer, I'd be totally fine with this. Um, I'm not <laughs> a summer person at all. I'm a big fan of rain, snow, cold weather. Dark weather. Great. Yeah. But, uh, basically, Britain is perfect for me to live in. So. <laughs> what you're saying is you're weird. Well, you could be weird for liking summer. Uh, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, it's you do you do get used to the shorter nights, shorter nights, shorter days. Sorry, longer nights or longer darkness, whatever way you want to put it. But I just I, there's something nice about obviously winter. Yes. But then I don't know. I I kind of think there's a lot to be said for blue skies, happy mood, that kind of thing. No, maybe that's just me. Not for me. No. <laughs> it's weird. It it's so weird. And I appreciate that this is like such a, I guess, an uncommon thing to think, but like frosty mornings and like super cold weather, grey skies, like I love everything about that. I appreciate the blue sky, happy mood, kind of sunshine's out thing, but summer's just so miserable in this country. Like this country is not built for the humidity we seem to be getting or for the heat that we seem to be getting. Yes, I, I know countries close to the equator, I get it. We don't actually get heat. Um, I know what you're this- saying, because when I was over in June and I, <laughs> I recall myself, I think this is the first time I really realised where you were coming from. We were in a shopping centre 
It was a very humid summer's day and obviously wearing jeans. And I just remember wanting to jump into an ice bath cold of water. It was just horrible. But it wasn't the same heat that you... And I don't know whether it's because... I was going to say inappropriately dressed. Well, depends what you classify inappropriately. But, um, you know, not dressed for the weather, I guess. You know, jeans and, you know, long sleeve top, whatever. And if you're on holiday, you're probably not going to be wearing that attire. It's going to be shorts and a t-shirt. So that may count into it. But I also think it's obviously a, a different type of heat, a different type of humidity, as opposed to the likes of, say, Spain or France or somewhere in Europe. Then again, you go to Florida, there's there's the humidity there as well. But I get what you mean. It's not necessarily the heat you don't like, it's the humidity and the, the stickiness of it all, maybe. It, no? It's just, it's, it's also just the fact that, yes, that, but it's, we are not a country set up to deal with this kind of heat. Um, the mm. amount of, I mean, newer buildings tend to be air-conditioned and, and climate-controlled in some way, but there are lots and lots and lots of parts of the country. People's homes don't tend to be air-conditioned. It's very, very rare um, that there's any kind of whole house air-conditioning like you see in hotter countries like uh, Australia and the States and whatnot, um, where I appreciate their heat is much greater than ours, but when we do, you know, when we were hitting, what, mid-30s this year, like for us, that's when we have no way of of, um, cooling our homes down, pairing in mind, we're a country that we've built of all of our houses to retain all of the heat, (laughs) <laughs> so when heat does get into them, there's no way for it to escape. Together, so it is yeah. like sitting yeah. in hot boxes. It's just super, super horrible. Uh, investing in some I was going to say, port- it's all right. Aaron did the Aaron thing to do and went and bought an air conditioning unit, which he would use for all three weeks. Hang on a minute. Didn't you, weren't you over when it was in no. use? And how no. nice was it? Oh, that would be no. very, wasn't it? Yeah, there you're right. Yeah. Because do you remember <laughs> we were walking down because we parked a while away and come on, the shopping center was just absolutely disgusting. Disgusting, that type of, yeah, and I'll not go into details, but it was warm. And, (laughs) you know, jeans, that kind of thing. But just running to the car for the air conditioning. It's like, that is our form of exercise. It's like, how quickly can we uh, get out of this disgusting... That's the thing as well. This country will forever trick you into wearing exactly the wrong type of clothing for the weather of the day. Like, it'll start off the day a little bit cold, grey, it's definitely going to rain, and then by midday, it's like, what do you mean it's 30 degrees? What is this? Hmm. Yeah, well, look, you don't like summer. I'm not overly keen on winter, I guess. We can agree to disagree. Do you know know the best day? It's It's a crisp autumnal morning. That's the best when the sun is in the sky, blue skies, but cold, fresh air. That's the best, in my opinion. That I'm with you, you on cannot that one. beat that. You cannot. The orange leaves. And I'm I guess that comes into a that cold winter's morning as well. Yeah. But it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there we go. We agreed on something. Perfect. Do you want else we want to agree on? Uh, war and peace. I don't know. No, but it's time for the quick news. Apple has opened its bug bounty program to all security researchers offering rewards of $1 million or more for discoveries of major flaws in its operating systems. The program, which had been opened by invitation only since its launch in 2016, now includes operating systems beyond iOS. Apple first announced at the Black Hat conference in August that it was opening the uh, the program to the public and that iCloud, iPadOS, macOS, tvOS, and watchOS would be added to the bug bounty list. Researchers have to submit a detailed description of the issue and enough detail to allow Apple to reproduce it. The program includes a 50% bonus for bugs discovered in beta. The top payouts will go to researchers who discover bugs that affect multiple Apple platforms, especially if the issue affects the latest Apple devices and software. 
When they crash, self-driving Mercedes will be programmed to save the driver and not the person or the people they hit. That's the design decision behind the Mercedes-Benz's future Level 4 and Level 5 autonomous vehicles, according to the company's manager of driverless car safety, Christoph Van Hugo. Instead of worrying about troublesome details like ethics, Mercedes will just program its cars to save the driver and the car's occupants in every situation. Mercedes von Hugo then thinks that the ethical programs will be outweighed, sorry, problems will be outweighed by the fact that the cars will be driven better overall. There are situations that today's driver can't handle that we can't prevent today, and autonomous or sorry, automated vehicles can't prevent either. The self-driving the car will be far better than the average human driver, he told car and driver. Facebook is to stop using members' phone numbers in its friends' recommendation system in 2020 following concern about privacy implications. Surprise! Users can choose to have a code sent to their mobile phones when logging in to make access harder for hackers. However, Facebook admitted that it also fed the numbers into targeted advertising and friend recommendation systems. The company says it will have completed the changes, which is part of a settlement with US regulators during 2020. And finally, Uber says it may, or will make changes to avoid being banned in Germany after a court ruled some of its processes did not respect local law. In Germany, the app connects passengers to private hire vehicle and taxi firms rather than independent drivers. But trade body Taxi Deutschland complained that some of Uber's processes broke Germany's rules on passenger transport. Uber said it would continue to operate in Germany while it made the changes. German law says private hire drivers must return back to their company's base after completing a trip. If they do not have another journey lined up, drivers are not allowed to drive around or park somewhere waiting for a new job to come in. The complaint said Uber had not done enough to make sure the private hire companies it worked with respected this rule in question. One million dollars. Aaron, can we start looking? I feel like we are so severely underqualified. But yeah, million dollars, <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. it honestly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. how, how these bugs get found and how these security issues, it's like even, I guess even even the simpler ones where it's less about probably a kind of a highly technical exploit, but you know the ones where, I don't know if you've seen them, where it's like, if you do this, that and the other emoji and set it to this language and do that, you can send someone a message and it will, you know, crash their phone or something it's mm. like how how do you find that how do you sit there going oh, i'm going to try this emoji combination or i'm going to do these words or paste this text or something it's like these people are on another level of intelligence or, or patience i don't know but uh yeah hats off to, to security researchers out there man they do a they do an incredible job and are some incredibly intelligent people the figure one million dollars or more does that mean starting at one million dollars assume so would need to be some major security flaw then wouldn't it oh yes um i mean to be fair apple have been criticized for a little while now on their bug bounty program it definitely lags behind a lot of other technology companies um especially not being able uh, not being open sorry to the public that was a big bone of contention um still quote open to the public is a little bit of a loose term here i think um it does say specifically security researchers but i assume assume you or i could submit a bug i don't know if it's just the wording that's throwing me off 
slightly. Um, and yeah, it's always been really weird that the bug bounty program didn't cover things like macOS. Um, obviously, iPadOS is a bit of a new one. Again, another bit of a misconception because that's a, they, they, they broke it out to be its own OS very recently. So that would have been covered before. Um, but macOS was a huge one. I think in this year or last year, I can't remember. We saw some relatively large security bugs um, come out. And the reason I can't remember what the person who found them decided to do with them. I can't remember if he did tell Apple or if he kind of held them hostage slightly. And it was it was kind of because there was no reward for this. It's like great you've you've found out found a problem or, or whatever with with one of their big OSs, but Apple will just give you a, a, a pat on the back and, and a thank you, um, which feels that you could you know that's when people turn to and then sell it to the highest bidder on on, on the black market or whatever. So. It kind of felt obvious that Apple would open this program up to more OSs um, and especially to, to everyone. It shouldn't be an invitation only thing. These programs only really work if you just do it en masse because um, yeah, yeah. it's great inviting, I don't know, let's say 100 people to do it, but one's if they don't find it, one's if it is Joe Public who finds it or whatever, you know. Most other companies, it's open to everyone. It covers everything they do. If you find a bug, a security flaw, whatever it is, you tell them there's potentially some kind of reward if it's verified. Apple have always been that strange outlier where it's felt like they're all high and mighty and, you know, oh, this is, you know, it's too good for them and whatnot. It's weird. Which, as you say, creates problems in itself. And the world's most valuable, not just tech company, but company, as you also said, had a potentially flawed pointy program previously, so they've rectified that. They've done two interesting things this week, one which we will talk about later on in the show. Mercedes. Wow, they've just went out and said it. <laughs> Essentially, we... You you put your money in us, we'll keep you safe. I, this is uh, a big problem. This is a very big ethical problem because in any event, autonomous vehicles will be able to determine, right, a crash is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. We're past that point. Whatever the, whatever I, i.e. The, the car, do, it might make the situation better. We are still crashing. So then it makes the decision, hmm. Who do I make this more difficult for? Those who I'm carrying or or him or her outside. And Mercedes have just went and said it will always be him or her outside the car, whether it's a pedestrian or another car. Not even half-half. Just... just Screw the rest of the people. It's this is a classic, uh, as we've spoken about before. It's a classic uh, ode to the trolley problem. Um, mm. I'm not sure if everyone is aware of the trolley problem, but it's this this fascinating uh, question where um, there's a runaway trolley or tram, I guess, um, on railway tracks. Um, ahead on the track, there are five people tied up, unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You're standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. You pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. Have you noticed that there is one person on the sidetrack? Two options are do nothing, allow the trolley to kill five people, or pull the lever, diverting the trolley onto the sidetrack where it will kill only one person. Which is the more ethical option? And it's something we've talked about with autonomous cars, as you say. It's um, do you protect the uh, the occupant or do you potentially kill a bunch of other people, whether it be single or multiple people? Um, and I kind of find it fascinating that Mercedes have just gone, yeah, we're just 
just going to kill everyone else. It's as simple as that. You know, we're going to save the occupant. And it's a pretty ballsy move, I think, to, to come out and, and be that, I guess, just set on it or set on the answer. Um, pretty impressive, though. I, 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 it's something that most car companies seem to skirt around. And, and, and I'm actually surprised that one of them kind of came out and said, no, this is what we will do. Um, right or wrong, I guess a decision is a good decision. I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's a very difficult one to answer, isn't it? Well, like I, I say, it, it, it's, it is that the, the trolley problem is what is the more ethical option? It's basically, you're mm-hmm. going to injure, kill someone, you know, is it, is it do nothing, kill five people, do something, kill one person? That's kind of the problem they're facing, isn't it? Is, is it, you know, if you can divert, the car can divert off and, and, and hit a tree, let's say, and, and, and the occupant uh, is the one who, who, who gets killed, or it can hit a, you know, a number of other people. It, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, I think, conundrum for, for, for car makers to obviously have to come up with. I think the one thing I will say is it, the whole point of autonomy or, and the whole big selling point of autonomy, when we go full autonomy in the in the very far future, I think at this point, where not just a select few cars on the road are autonomous, because I think at that point, those select few autonomous cars, are, the reason they're going to be potentially crashing is taking avoiding action for something else, potentially another vehicle, most likely another vehicle. And that's where these decisions have potentially come into play. Now, what happens when everything was autonomous or 95% of cars on the road are autonomous is you've got the whole thing of, well, they can talk to each other and, and you know, if, if there's a crash a mile up the road, regardless of weather conditions, fog, snow, whatever, you know, all the cars coming up on it can be alerted, slow down and stop, you know, instead of barreling in unable to see. Um, cars will be much better just because they can do it themselves at not having the crash in the first place. So there's potentially less yeah. of a need to ask these questions. And obviously, they're still outside um, factors. Um, obviously, you can't stop a pedestrian walking out in front of it, uh, or autonomous or not. Or, um, you know, there's still all those kind of outside variables. Um, but I think when we get to that stage, I think it'll be very interesting to see. I, ca- I can't wait to see kind of crash statistics and obviously injury statistics. Oh, you can't wait to see. <laughs> Good word choice. Makes for great reading, I'll have you know. It, it's a horrible number at the moment, isn't it? You know, driving your car to the to the shop is like that that statistic of you're more likely to die than X. Um, you know, it's 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 a horrible statistic, the amount of road traffic collisions and, and the amount of deaths that happen on the road every day, just in this country alone, but in any country, it's too high. I mean, one is too high, but the, sh- the, the sheer volume that it currently is is massively too high. So I think autonomy will go a huge way to doing something about that number. And I think it's going to be super fascinating to see, because it is going to decrease that number, but it's going to be fascinating to see how drastically that number comes down. Um, because we all know no one's a perfect driver. Um, and yep, no such thing. That accidents are just that. They are accidents. I know, I know mm. often not called accidents, you know, always referred to as road traffic collisions or whatever. Someone is always technically at fault. But um, I think if, if the, the human error plays a, a huge part in that. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see um, how autonomy kind of goes. It's got a long way to go. We've, we've seen Tesla have had some notable issues and, 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 and I think a fatality where it didn't see a truck and drove straight into it, uh, killing the occupant of the car, I believe. Um, so not perfect. Still a very long way to go. But I'm 25, 35 years. You know, what, what does the road situation look like? It's going to be super 
interesting. It's not quite the same, but in some way related. It just made me think they're reading and, and talking about that. Obviously, in the case of a car accident, for example, the Mercedes, if it's going to crash in, well, if it if it sees a pedestrian ahead, and it, realistically, there's very few examples when it can't do something to try and save the pedestrian in need of its passenger or occupants because it's car v person at that point. But in the case of a car, the Mercedes, unless there is, unless very smart sensors are talking to each other, which is a long way out because they don't, the car will know how many occupants are in it. See, bell sensors, for example. But what I'm saying is, you know, the car that's crashing into the other car doesn't know what the other car has in it. So essentially the Mercedes is saying, right, well, look, we're just doing everything to save this car, which in a way makes sense. Would it, it wouldn't be great to drive a car that you think, you know what, this could actually try and kill me at some point for the sake of, and I don't mean that this sounds awful, but for the sake of someone else. I mean, it, you get in your car and you put your seatbelt on and you know that the safety systems in the car are there to protect you. If for one minute you thought, this could actually act against me purposely, you might think differently about getting into it. Just just my thought. But well, that, No, go ahead. I was just going to say, that probably hits the nail on the head as to why Mercedes have just kind of said yeah. this, because you're, you're 100% right. Who would get into a car where you're fully conscious that it might choose to kill you or injure yeah. you? You know, like, people are... The human nature is, is very selfish. We wouldn't get into a car, or we wouldn't get into any situation, I guess, but you wouldn't get into a car knowing that it might choose to, you know, to sacrifice you to save someone you don't know. It's 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 a horrible thing to talk about, but I think when Mercedes probably look at bottom line sales, you know, they can't. It's not a great selling point of a car, is it? Where it might choose, you know, to kill you. There's always that that thing you hear about where driving a passenger in a car, a driver loses control of the car or loses most slides off the road, let's say, and the driver in just instinctively, you don't even think about it, position the car or try to or a natural action is to position the car in a way that it saves you it saves yourself you know you, you hear about um statistics often where let's say a car hits an object um it tends to be potentially the the passenger side or, or the non-driver side of the vehicle because the driver will instinctively try and correct themselves out of that situation um and this is all you know kind of that well a driver wouldn't get into a car or buy a car where it's like this car might choose me instead of Joe Blog, as bad as it sounds. If every car looks after its own occupants, they'll all work it out. But it also brings to me, I mean, this is human nature anyway, because when you're driving, you drive to a defensive style. You know, you always think about how you're going to alleviate any potential issue. And for anyone who, who flies, general aviation pilots, private pilots, commercial, whatever, defensive flying as well. Maybe a bit more with flying in that, for example, a runway I would take off from. It's not the preferred runway, but when the wind is hitting down it, it's the one in use. And as you take off, you're very quickly, in fact, you're almost immediately over a town and you have houses below you. So you take the, the best course of action to get away from that as quickly and as soon as possible. So as soon as you're at a safe cl- climb speed, or sorry, <laughs> climb speed, as soon as you're at a safe height in your climb, you make the turn to move away. Defensive flying, because the most dangerous part for, for engine failure would be takeoff. Because if you don't have enough power to get you up, then you're going into the houses essentially. So to alleviate that again, you make that sharp turn out to get away from it because you're thinking, how, you know, if I do have engine failure, there's potential there's going to be a crash or an emergency landing to get down into a field or so on and so forth. What's safer to land away from the houses or to land in the houses? You know, and that's the same thing over in anything in driving, flying, and in this case, autonomous vehicles. They're thinking, what can we do to make this the safest possible for everyone involved? 
cut the number of casualties and incidents and make the incident as, as less critical or important as it can be. Human nature, isn't it? You might not realise it, but you're constantly trying to think about how you keep yourself safe. And I guess that goes back to natural instincts from years and years ago when you literally were trying to defend yourself, keep yourself alive. 100%. That's what humans are. We're naturally, instinctively selfish creatures. We yeah, think you're programmed think, to keep yourself alive. Yeah, you don't even... It's not necessarily about consciously making that decision. It's just what you do. Like I say, mm. you'll steer the car so the driver is the, the safest place in the car. Um, you know, it, it's so many situations are like that. I think this this comes off as a little bit headline grabby. Um, yeah. You know, it's not Mercedes going, yeah, we're going to kill other people. Like, that's obviously not what they're trying to do. The whole point is that the car never gets into that situation in the first place. Um, but they've just cleared that uh, that kind of elephant in the room that we, we've, we've spoken about for so long, which is... Uh, I think good to see. Um, I think it's good to see a car maker going, this is what we're going to do. And it's probably the right decision. Rather than skirting around the issue, 100%. Facebook will stop using your phone number to recommend you to people and people to you, which surely permission has to be given to do that, no? Honestly, we've spoken about this before. It blows my mind that Facebook have been allowed to get away with this for so long. The whole point of two-factor authentication where you give your phone number, obviously it's one of many two-factor authentication methods, but it's the biggest one. Facebook would basically you would secure your account with Facebook and then they would sell your phone number. So, oh, okay, that's that's not how that works, Facebook. Um, you're not meant to use the phone number against the person who's securing their account. It's like, I, I don't have enough bad words to describe Facebook. You know how much I, I, I personally loathe them as a company. Um, definitely, I know when we, when we kind of look back over the, in a few weeks' time, when we look back over the past 10 years, Facebook are going to be that like giant, just annoying fly. Um, <laughs> but the fact that they're having to change this is great. The fact that they're like, it'll happen during next year. It's like, oh, come on. Um, it really annoys me. It really annoys me that they've been able to get away with this for so long. You should not have to worry about your phone number being, you know, that you've purposely given for security reasons, potentially being used against, I guess, yourself to target you ads. It's like, I just, Facebook just, I think their moral compass is just, I don't know, buried in a field somewhere. Um, it's just a ridiculous they're just a ridiculous company. They're a caricature of themselves when it comes to privacy. It's hilarious. And the fact that they have, like I see someone's job title is like head of privacy or something. It's like, this, do you see the irony? Is the irony, I hope the irony is not lost on them. <laughs> but they get away with it. People continue to use them. They are still probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest social network online in 2019 coming into 2020. They're getting away with it. Do stop if, that, if there is one change I want to see over the next decade, it's that Facebook get out absolutely pulverized into oblivion by a social network that has a common decency of care. I mean, even Twitter have a common decency of care. Like, we're not sitting here always talking about Twitter um, when it comes to privacy. It's just this one annoying fly of a company that keep coming up every week. And we all still use, well, I mean, use is probably, we all still have an account. Um, but yeah, I, I big thing for the next decade is I hope someone replaces them. Just anyone replaces them. Um, and I think we're starting to see kind of headway in that. I know age demographics have changed on Facebook over the past couple of years. It does change kind of per country slightly. Um, but yeah, that company just, oh, they need to disappear. You love them, really. And then Uber promising to change their uh, policies to coincide with the German laws. 
So this is a thing, apparently, in that private hire drivers have to return back to base if they don't have another journey lined up. Didn't seem to be that Uber drivers were necessarily doing that, hence they were in breach. And as a result, they faced being banned in Germany. They're doing something about it. They're making the changes and they will continue to operate while they make those changes. Couldn't be very difficult changes to make, surely. It's just a case of changing policy and making drivers aware of it. It's not not exactly a hard rule, I, I wouldn't say. I don't know. It's Uber. They'll screw it up somehow. I mean, we're forever on the verge of, of talking about them losing their licenses in, in more and more places. I think just a couple of weeks ago, I was reading about the fact that they have or are losing their license in London to operate. Have um, lost their license to operate in London. If, if they actually lost it or is it yeah, like, I think oh, it's yeah. been suspended type thing. Um, and I, I think Uber, uh, Uber have changed the industry. No doubt about that. Uber and Lyft um, and companies like them have massively changed the way we think about about, I think, public transport. There is no denying that. And I'm sure, in a way, I'm sure they could have been a, or they could have got to where they are today through operating morally and legally. But there are too many stories that are coming out over the past couple of years, more than before, about the way drivers have conducted themselves, about the way Uber have conducted themselves. There are just too many of those negative stories to, I think, congratulate Uber, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's a great you've changed the industry can you do it a little bit better um that's the thing it's a fantastic concept and a very simple one which if they adhered to the policies would be executed beautifully but they just their practices are just so wrong price fixing i anytime i went to use uber which few and far between but anytime i have probably been a busy period when you need to get one and i've already inquired about taxis and so on i know the price and that's fine i'd think i'll give uber a try it's handy like three four times the price why would you pay that in what world does that make sense and yeah they've lost it in london they were stripped of their license after authorities found that more than 14,000 trips were taken with drivers who had faked their identity on the firm's app. Fantastic. Speaks volumes, think, really, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think, I'm not sure what pretty well our general opinion has been in the past, but I know we've spoken about um, specifically London before. And one of the big things about London, and one of the big things when it comes to taxi drivers in London, is the knowledge test. The taxi knowledge test is like this highly revered, you know, test where you you basically have to know London. And it's not like London is a grid system. London is, you know, one of those classic British places where it just sort of sprawled out over time and swallowed towns as it went. So it is this like ridiculous road network. And taxi drivers have to know the best route to get anywhere. If they if they have to be diverted, they have to know how to get around it. They are tested on this constantly. And one of their big issues with Uber, with Lyft, with all these companies coming in is that these drivers didn't have to do any of this. They just had to have a sat-nav on their phone and they could basically take money away from them. And rightfully, wrongfully wrongfully so, I think that put a sour taste in, in taxi drivers' uh, mouths. I think, you know, they probably left feeling a bit high and dry after that, um, especially with all the money, the work, uh, the effort you have to put in only to be uh, to, to be beaten at the post by someone who's had to do none of that apart from have access to a car, have a valid driving license and a phone. Um, and it sounds like having a, a valid driving license probably isn't a requirement by Uber at this point. Um, but, you know, you can see why I think so many cities are starting to fight back and be like, mm, actually, this is not okay. 100%. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense. Either change the regulations for taxis or uphold Uber drivers to the regulations, but you can't have, have it two ways. Flickr have said uh, that they need more money to keep the Flickr dream alive. At least their owner, Smugmug, have said that. Photo hosting service Smugmug has penned a 
open letter asking fans of the photo site Flickr, which it acquired from Yahoo two years ago, to sign up for the platform's pro subscription to help keep the Flickr dream alive. The letter, authored by SmugMug founder and CEO Don McCaskill, McCaskill, sorry, uh, and obtained by The Verge, details Flickr's ongoing financial woes and makes the case for Flickr Pro as a way to keep the service afloat. The problem is, in 2019, is Flickr really still a contender? I'm going to say no. You might disagree, Aaron, but I just genuinely do not think that people are going to pay at least a good proportion of people. There is a a target demographic, professional photographers or artists, so on and so forth, who will. Most people, however, will not pay Flickr to host their photos or to view other people's photos because either they don't pay full stop or they pay for a service such as iCloud or through Google to hold their photos. Just doesn't make sense to have an additional cost and or service to do the same thing. And and that is basically technology in a nutshell today we're, we're we don't buy digital cameras anymore because our phone comes with one we we don't buy an ipod anymore because our phone comes with one we don't sign up for services that we already pay for because they're all in-house or a lot of it is in-house that's such a like a such a thing that annoys me these days we'll add it to the list of many things that annoys me and you could definitely i'm write going a to book say yeah it. we're building a, an extensive list it's it's a repertoire i'll have you know but one of the many things um that annoys me is this super over-reliance on three companies or two companies to, to do most of our stuff. It's like, Flickr were here first. Not that that has anything to do with it. But I have this just hatred of the fact that everything we do nowadays is like three companies. We are, you know, this is this is a world of entrepreneurship and, and you know, startups and whatnot. Yet, whenever given the opportunity, we're like, ah, I'll just use the free one that comes with the phone. You know, oh, Google will give me it for free. Yeah, I'll, I'll use that. Like, oh, great. Um, You know, we're forever sitting here wondering why, you know, companies are going out of business and people are losing their jobs. Oh, it's because Google and Amazon and Apple are, are swallowing up all of the uh, the ideas, you know. Very rarely do any of these companies come up with anything themselves these days. Um, what was the last original Google product that took off? You know, everything just revolves around photos or email. Like, I appreciate Google did a lot for, for especially for email. But it's like, it, it's just, they're just becoming everything. And I know we, I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, when is that too much? When is this over-reliance on a couple of companies, like, too much? Why does a tech company have to do everything? Why do they have to be in every market? Um, and, he, he, you know, when you look at a company like Google, you've forever got to be worried that, yes, you can upload all your photos today. Not necessarily saying that Google will keep that product alive tomorrow. We're going to have a long history of getting rid of things that people love. See Google Reader. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Flickr. I have been for many years. I, w- I was a pro subscriber a long, long time ago. Um, the transition to Yahoo was a bit, it was just weird. Um, it wasn't kind of very well done done um it always felt a bit half-assed and then it always felt like they didn't care about it um i've been a paying smug mug member for a good few years now um huge fan of smug mug again they're niche product i don't think either of them smug mug or flicker technically the same company are sitting here going ah oh, we're for the masses and we're for everyone no for, for most people unfortunately even based on what i just said apple google amazon they are the best places to host your everyday photos however i think if you're a photographer as you say if you're an artist if, if you want to show off your photos, create albums, that type of thing, Flickr, SmugMug, the place to be. Um, the reason I'm a SmugMug subscriber is I 
like to go to motorsports events and take photos or take holiday, you know, holiday photos with with a decent camera. I put those on SmugMug for the world or family or whomever to see. Um, to me, it's just much easier. I don't really want to put my photos on Google for a multitude of reasons. Um, and then I'm kind of very picky about iCloud. I really just like to be iPhone only. Um, so everything else has to go somewhere. Um, Flickr, they diluted themselves a few years ago. They did this whole terabyte for free, um, which was like, I think that was a mistake. Um, the platform just became like inundated with everyone's photos. Everyone's just like iPhone uploads and whatnot. One of the big things uh, I think aided Flickr back in the day um, and still may do so today, to be fair, is the community. I remember being a part of quite a lot of photo groups, um, quite a lot of big websites. I remember Lifehacker ran a few photo groups so great to be a part of. Um, that was a big thing on Flickr was the, the kind of photo community, the photo group. You could share photos. Um, like there was more to Flickr than just uploading your photos and like kind of like in a static way there was there was a back and forth um over the years uh, the rise of other services i think Flickr kind of stood still under yahoo probably not their own fault um we see that all too often uh, great apps great services get bought by big corporation x um they don't get killed off but nothing happens with them they don't progress forward um so many years later they get sold off um i think just see like instapaper and whatnot you know they got got bought by big company x and then you know nothing happened and then sold off and now they're trying to kind of recoup their losses at this point um flicker going through very much the same stage um one of the big advantages of smug mug is it is still that family-owned business um it's still run like one it's it, it it feels like one of those companies one of those products where yes there's a business model yes they have to make money and they fully understand that but they're also trying to create the best platform they can for photographers they are photographers this is what they do um they've come up with this business idea to aid photographers whereas i think a lot of other companies you know let's let's pick on google for example google photos is it is not that it is not google trying to create the, the best platform for photographers it's google have seen another dollar sign for everyone that you know they'll upgrade their storage and they'll pay them a subscription fee and they'll put their photos on the google don't care about the photos you know okay the, i appreciate the team that, that run google photos will disagree with me on that and and I very much believe that they do care but Google as a you know as a company is as, as a I guess a figurative kind of being don't care whereas smugmug I, I think Flickr is an independent do um I think that can that kind of that kind of notion can be can be applied to so many things in the tech industry where you've got kind of little company X where this is the only thing they do versus big corporation Y where it's just a just a tiny part of what they do you know you can see the level of care that goes in to either platform um the flicker open uh the flicker open letter it reads very it's it's very i don't want to use the word desperate but it, it is a bit desperate but it doesn't kind of come off like that if that makes sense um it's very much uh they're just putting it straight to people where we need people to sign up or this service doesn't survive yeah um, which is fair enough you know and i appreciate the fact that they just put it out there kind of straight they didn't beat around the bush or anything thing um i also appreciate the fact that they didn't start trying to explore other kind of more dodgy revenue streams that we see so many companies do mm. um that's kind of a big thing i appreciate um the one thing i would like is 
we're still at this point where Flickr and Smugmug, competitors for so many years, now they are owned by, they are the same company. It's like, it, it feels like there should be more of a crossover between the two. I mean, the letter does go on to say, it's, it's a good read. Um, we'll obviously link to it uh, through the article in the show notes, but it's a good read. Um, it highlights how much they've done behind the scenes. They've moved data around, they're moving servers, they've made it X percent faster, you know, yada, 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 all the big technical stuff that you just don't see, but it has happened. I think one of the bigger things is it feels like there should be a crossover between Smugmug and Flickr. Um, not to necessarily say that the, the two should become one platform. I, I don't think that's right at all, but, you know, I have a, I have a paid Smugmug account and I have a completely separate Flickr account. It, it feels like that should change. What they're saying is, give us your money or we'll close. It's as yeah. simple as. Fair enough. I like, I, like, I like the fact that they're open and honest. Speaking of open, Apple has opened up HomeKit to become more open source uh, to, to speed up the smart home push. This is essential. And this is what we said from day one, especially with Apple, who loves to keep everything in house and monopolize every single last part of everything they do, which isn't a criticism. It is just what it is. So they're open sourcing some of their smart home tools to accelerate the development of the new smart home standard announced by industry leaders. Part of Apple's HomeKit Accessory Development Kit, ADK, will now be available for any developer to experiment with regardless of whether they have a business relationship with Apple or not. And with me saying that about Apple, it, it's not just Apple, it's every technology company out there because Apple or Apple are the same as Amazon, or the same as Google, they all want you to buy their products which talk to each other. In some cases, Amazon will, for example, allow connectivity and promote Philips Hue bulbs with the product because it acts, the Amazon Echo will act as a bridge for the Hue bulbs and there's a little bit of a partnership and a deal there and that's because Amazon aren't making their own light bulbs. But we rest assured, the minute Amazon can make their own bulbs, they'll keep it in house and they'll start ditching Philips and so on and so forth. So it's not just Apple, it's nothing new. It's just the fact they like to make money off their own products and make another revenue and, and, and profit source from further products within that, that ecosystem. But that's a big problem with the smart home because not everyone in one house will have the same type of mobile phone they may not have the same products might not even have the same light bulbs in years to come potentially so it needs to be more open than that especially a system like this and it's great to see apple paving the way with that not well, just apple google already that way inclined to some extent apple google and amazon as we said, have announced a new open source smart home standard. Project Connected Home over IP will incorporate elements of each company's existing technology, whether it's Amazon's Alexa, Google's Weave, or Apple's HomeKit, allowing smart home devices to work together more effectively. Apple's decision to open source parts of HomeKit sounds like a sensible first step towards integrating the company's technology into the new standard. I could not agree anymore. Fantastic. Amazing. Exactly what was needed to push smart homes on, I think. Agreed. It's something I think we as a collective consumer have been calling for for some time is this we don't want 15 bridges that have to all run in isolation and nothing talks to anything else a smart home should be a collective thing it should be everything regardless of who makes it not necessarily talks to everything but can be controlled by anything um i don't like this siloed world where google stuff can talk to these select few devices and then you have to have an echo because it can talk to these select few devices and then a home kit can only talk these apple approved things which is obviously a big bone of contention that people have with Apple. Um, that's not changing, by the way. Um, they are, as you said, they're opening the, the developer kit to more people, um, but you still have to go through the same uh, kind of made for iPhone or, or a program, the Apple HomeKit MFI program, uh, to get access to the commercial version of the APS and to sell your devices. Uh, 
Um, a huge uh, thing, by the way, if people want to spend a little bit of time, good thing to do over Christmas, um, to get, let's say, non-home kit, uh, non-officially home kit supported devices set up, I highly recommend grabbing a Raspberry Pi and be a zero um, and setting up something called HomeBridge on it. Um, I recently did this on, 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 a, on a spare Pi um, because, as you know, the IKEA smart blinds, that forever home kit support coming soon. I actually did this a couple of weeks ago and then like a week later ikea announced that like that home kit support that was meant to come by the end of the year has now been pushed into 2020 um right. but someone's already written a plugin on homebridge to, to do this you literally connect it to your ikea bridge and all of a sudden this homebridge software makes it available in HomeKit. um it runs perfectly it then allows me to have HomeKit control all of my automation so let's say i can tell HomeKit to okay at sunset turn my desk light on and close the blind um you know or at the moment it's at sunset if i'm home turn the christmas tree lights on um like it's that kind of thing and it's been really nice to finally have all these devices talk to this one central thing because before i had to kind of half rely on ikea's dodgy automation that, that, that didn't really work properly like it was it was automation in air quotes um so yeah i think if anyone wants to get some of their smart devices working with HomeKit now highly recommend you go you go check out homebridge there's lots and lots of tutorials out there there are even some kind of pre-installed versions for you um that you can get it works really Really well obviously not official obviously not guaranteed to work you know may break at any time um but it's been super fun to, to play with and it's been i think a bit, a bit eye-opening to, to how this stuff could work or should work like it's oh they shouldn't you know the ikea stuff you know it, this is ikea blinds it's Philips Hue bulbs and it's like these Amazon, I don't know, um, Chinese made switches that I've got for the uh, Christmas lights and whatnot. Like, and they're all just talking to each other and I'm automating everything at once. It's like, oh, this is how it should be. Um, so an open standard is exactly the words I want to be hearing right now. So this home bridge essentially acts as a, well, a bridge. It, it what, links up non-HomeKit enabled products to Yeah, so, yeah. so with HomeKit, you can, the HomeKit is like an, it's an interface to, to other bridges, let's say. Right. You yeah. don't connect the Philips Hue bulbs to HomeKit. Yeah. Um, HomeKit sees the Philips Hue bridge and it sends commands to the bridge to then control yeah. the bulbs. Same yeah. with IKEA, same with the things. But obviously there's a problem where half this stuff just doesn't work with HomeKit yeah. officially. Uh, so HomeBridge just acts as another bridge um, making all of these devices. It does the talking to IKEA, the talking to whatever, like it's thousands of devices that will work with. Like it's nuts. Um, um, it basically does the 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 middleman for you, and all you need is a Raspberry Pi and a Wi-Fi connection. That's it. Amazing what the Raspberry Pi is capable of with the right code. But I'd, as you're saying, hopefully not necessary for much longer with this open source standard. Just open source and Apple never really went hand in hand before. But it is now, and that's all that matters. Great. IBM, who are still very much in 2019 a major player, just not necessarily in the front end consumer side of things. They are still doing amazing things and they are still a very highly respected multinational information technology company. Uh, so what they have said is that they have a major battery technology breakthrough. They've announced a breakthrough in battery technology that says it could make lithium-ion batteries a thing of the past, which is a very sweeping and very bold statement considering that we have not yet been able to get to that stage. Lithium-ion, whilst not amazing, has been the best 
most out of a bad bunch of technologies for batteries. And I say bad bunch, lithium-ion is a fantastic technology. It's a, a combination between safe, effective, efficient, to some extent, workable. But it just has its flaws. Charge time is one. The hold of charge is another. But again, it's a happy medium. Because there are batteries out there that will, will hold and charge a lot quicker. They're just a lot more likely to explode in your hand. And the opposite at works as well, vice versa. But it's getting that happy medium. Yes, lithium-ion batteries can explode, but not very often. Um, and, and, and vice versa again for those. So what IBM have said is that whilst lithium-ion has been the best to date, they have discovered potentially better. Battery performance complaints, nothing new. Um, lithium-ion is basically one of the most frustrating parts of technology in 2019, moving into 2020, and as we've been the last decade or more. Problem being, yes, it's effective, but the more you charge the battery, the, 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 the worse the health of the battery gets. And that's it's the same for what, car batteries, laptop batteries, phone batteries, batteries in anything, full stop. They go bad, they charge slowly, can explode, not great for the environment either. But IBM's new battery reportedly eliminates those exact headaches. They're keeping quiet about how this new battery is made, only saying that it's made of three new and different proprietary materials which have never before been recorded as being combined in a battery. The three components, IBM said, can all be extracted from seawater, meaning their environmental damage from and humanitarian cost mining heavy metals for batteries could also be eliminated. Extracting battery components from seawater also reduces costs, making this not only better for the environment and people, but also potentially more affordable. What is not to like? It seems like IBM has, has struck gold, literally, here. This is the, the bottleneck of modern technology right now, correct? Oh, 100%. It's, um, even with lithium-ion technology, it's, it, you know, we've obviously had some progress, even if it's not necessarily necessarily in the battery technology itself but the way we use it and people notice it batteries are like this one constant where let's take the smartphone for example you know the big thing is why did you upgrade oh it's my battery that didn't last you know speed is the next thing and you know then it's like the plethora of other things but the top of most people's list it'll be the battery um and phones have definitely gotten better technology hold has gotten uh, better at using the battery technology that we have available i i I take for example just looking at my iphone 7 plus to iphone 11 upgrade like the 7 plus even with a brand new battery in it all day was a push the iphone 11 all day using it even more than the iphone 7 i'll end the day on like 50 or 60 percent like it's all right there's no need to rub it in Got to upgrade, man. I've been telling you, you need to, you need to go to the Apple Store and uh, and uh, get an iPhone in eleven. But well, I mean, you know, not all of us are on yeah seven plus. No, it's great. No. I just, I, I know it's only been two or three months from the last release, but I just don't feel as if <laughs> I kind of want to wait until the next one now. Oh man, I, I, I just, I realized that mindset was so dumb. In like, just oh no, it's been a week since the iPhone came. Oh, I might as well wait for the next one. It's not really been a week. It's been a quarter now. Yeah, it's still. And when you're running your antiquated I've 10 months time. <laughs> until the next one <laughs> i know i know i'm just trying to justify it because i i, I could e- I, I will easily on impulse go and buy one but i just i know it's I was, fine, I, it's say, fine. I, I currently in 2019 have a pretty good track record of uh getting you to buy stuff whether you need it or not so yeah exactly do it, yep. do it, <laughs> do it, do it. camera is great the battery is amazing the screen is great face id is awesome uh it has wireless charging uh telephoto lens not telephoto lens wide-angle lens. Not um, listening. I'm not la-la-la-la-la. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Memojis. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm sold. I'm oh, no, sold. No, no. Animoji. That's the one I was after. Or Memojis as well, but Animoji. Come on. You can make your face a cow. Not that you need to. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm sold. That's it. I'll buy one. Hey, That's it. He missed. Ordered. He missed my joke insult, people. <laughs> I didn't. What? What was your joke insult? I I said you can make your face look like a cow, not that you need to. I'm sorry. Oh wow! I ten years, you, right? You went there. You, you went there. I'm kidding. I, too soon. Yeah. Awkward. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I. Funny. Actually, <laughs> not that it mattered, but I think you sent me an emoji when you got the phone, and I was like, oh, I really want to reply with one, but I can't because my my phone doesn't do it. Uh, it, and it, it's almost as if Apple knew rightly that that's almost going to make someone go out and buy one because I mean, someone we, can do something they can't with their phone. We all sit here and go, well, that's dumb, and no one's going <laughs> to use it. But like, I will admit, I haven't used a whole bunch since. Um, mm. But you're right; it, it's probably had that it, exactly that desired effect for them. That it's like, oh, this one little feature that you know, all of a sudden, their, your friend's phone can't do. Um, but just back onto battery tech, um, I think we are, we they are. Um, stretching the limits, I think, of of the battery technology we currently have, and like I say, it's it's probably less changing the battery tech that they've been doing, and more making more efficient usage of what we have available. So a leap forward in in battery tech will be amazing, I think, when it comes um, the when the if, like these are all big questions. Um, but yeah, I think if 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 we sit here and go, what do we want to what do we want to see in the next decade of technology? Batteries are a big one. Um, obviously, we didn't really see a big change in the in the in the past decade like i say apart from the way it's used not necessarily the technology itself um so i think in the next 10 years i would be interested to see or i would like to see some kind of advancement of, of, of battery technology because i think that will be a big big seller um for whoever gets there first more to the point along with that impressive recharge rate ibm said also that it can reach a power density of more than 10,000 watts per liter can reach an energy density of more than 800 watts or sorry what are per litre, which is probably comparable to modern lithium-ion batteries, and also has an energy efficiency defined by IBM, IBM sorry, as the ratio of the energy to discharge the battery over the energy to charge the battery of over 90%. They also say it can be configured in numerous configurations in a different number of ways, making it ideal for multiple use cases from new energy infrastructure to electric vehicles as well. They haven't revealed whether it's progressed beyond the testing phase, but they have certainly boasted about it. Um, so it's easy to get excited about this, especially if you're frequently affected by poor battery life. But whilst IBM sound optimistic, we'll not jump too far because stories like this are nothing new. It could just be another one of those or they might have cracked it we just don't know yet it may be a 2020 thing it may not but given the speed at which the thing is these developments are either going to be nice and slowly developed or something is going to crack and that's it wow we've brand new technology it's it's one or the other it's actually hard to imagine in 2020 something just immediately being launched because that would be the biggest technical innovation of the decade without doubt if it did but i i don't think it's going to happen like that i think it's gonna be time research energy more time more research more energy kind of like continual lip before we get something that's better than lithium ion and it's not going to happen overnight i don't think ibm seem to think it is but i don't i can't see it i cannot see it that brings us to the end of episode 491 the final episode before Christmas Day. If you haven't already, find our Christmas gift guide on over at munchtech.tv forward slash gift guide 2019. You can also listen to other episodes of the show, munchtech.tv, for our interview with Steve Wozniak. That's on over at munchtech.tv forward slash was. If you're listening on your mobile device, munchtech.tv forward slash mobile, our newsletter, which will have something out in the next day or two, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter. For the ultimate guide to podcasting, munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide. And of course, for other episodes of the show, just check out the website as well. Have a great Christmas, a safe 
and happy Christmas. We'll talk to you one last time before 2020. Until then, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.